background music I will mute. Thank you guys for joining us again. Um, for those who have joined us for the first time, a little bit about what we're here to do. While this is a debate, the goal here is not for both sides to aim to defeat one another, rather for both sides to engage in a productive dialogue with the hopes of finding common ground. That's what we're here to do. We're here to learn more about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and we're here to just create a platform where people could share their different perspectives. Uh, this is a live and interactive session, so please have a conversation in the chat. Feel free to ask our guests questions. We'll try to save some time at the end for questions. Um, and most importantly, keep it respectful. Very rarely can you convince somebody of your, of your perspective if you don't respect them. So just keep that in mind. Uh, I'm very happy to introduce our two guests. It's their first time on the Great Israel-Palestine de Debate. Um, on my left, I hope you're seeing it as I'm seeing it, but I see him on my left. I'm happy to introduce Ori Weisberg, who is a writer, editor, and a translator. He holds a PhD in English from the University of Michigan, and he currently resides in Jerusalem with his wife and three children. On the bottom right is Kifa Abu Kadir. She is an educator, currently residing in Jerusalem. She has founded the educational program EduReach and dedicates her free time advocating for the justice of Palestinians. Now, both Kifa and Ori have a lot in common. They both grew up in the United States and they both currently reside in Jerusalem. That being said, Ori happens to be Israeli, Kifa happens to be Palestinian. This small difference happens to create a vastly different reality that they both, both live in. And this is gonna be the primary focus of our discussion. What, how it's different for an Israeli and a Palestinian to live in the same city. Um, I guess we're gonna start by discussing how they decide to raise their children, because through this alone, I think it opens the door to the vast differences between their day-to-day their -day lives. Uh, Kifa, would you like to start and just talk a little bit about your life in Jerusalem and how you raise your children and how you think that differ from Ori's? Um, well, first of all, um, I came back. Um, I'm a Palestinian that returned. I was born and raised in the diaspora. And um, raising my kids here was a lot different for me than when I was growing up in the U.S. Uh, my kids grew up during Intifada II. And um, it was uh, it was different. I mean, there was there was many days that we would go out, and all we thought about was just sleeping. Um, so we had the checkpoints and raising, and then like another thing that you always have to consider is um, not just going through the checkpoints is whether or not what you're doing is right. Like you're constantly, you know, questioning it if you're in the right area and. And that's what constantly kept shifting during Intifada too, because they kept changing what was Jerusalem, what was not Jerusalem. Um, something else, well, it, the fact that my kids grew up constantly with soldiers and uh, militarization. I mean, I grew up in a, in a decent area in, in, outside of Atlanta and um, never, I mean, you only called the cops. You didn't constantly have them you know, morning, noon, and night. The kids um, also grew up where 
uh, tear gas was part of their day. So because they were near, the, the checkpoint at that time was right outside their school. So um, a lot of times tear gas canisters would end up in their the school's play yard. Um, and then just worrying uh, during Intifada, I mean, it was it was not anything like when I grew up. When the when especially for the for my boys and them growing up here, you're constantly you feel like they're more of a target than a girl. I have I have four boys and uh, one daughter, and them going through the checkpoints, they automatically uh, get targeted. So they were constantly going through that. Um, honestly, they they ended up in the in the U.S. Um, they're working. And they're there because even even with their dad owning a company, um, I mean, we do we do very well, and we do live on the quote unquote Israeli side, and so we should be earning more than the West Bank, and it's it's it doesn't entice many to stay, um, and it's also harder to earn a living. Whatever they're not going to have the same opportunities that they would in the U.S. So, uh, okay. um, so no, I mean, the kid. A lot of people they they did like during the father too. There was a huge there was a huge drain of people and a huge brain drain, especially. Um, and I mean, the other thing is is that you have a lot of a politicization. Everything that you do is you, you're constantly thinking about: Are you going to take someone off? Or am I in the right, again going to that? Am I in the right place? Like there was there was a lot of places that were Jerusalem before Intifada II, or even up until now, and then they they lost that, and so people were losing their statuses and um and just like ending up on the West Bank side with no access to anything. Um, I don't know, like what else was different? <laughs> Everything. I mean, I was constantly comparing like how I grew up, and then I mean, I grew up and and um, first like when I was younger, we were in a working class neighborhood, and then we moved up to where we're living in a nice upper middle class subdivision. It's nothing like here, and then you know, constant the constant fear of um, of them getting picked up, and then there there is um, it's like. Um, you know the boys they do get together kids do get together they don't like the presence of soldiers they will throw rocks and so whatever they do they're going to get punished even worse yeah um and even if they do get an education you know they don't have the same opportunities right so kifa how is that, i'm sorry yeah how, how is that as a mother you know what what do you, what do you do to try to protect children, especially your sons, when it comes to, you know, how to engage with soldiers or how to engage with the other side? Is there is there, you know, a set of rules that you go by? How do you, how do you approach that challenging issue? During well, especially during Intifada two, and they were constantly switching the checkpoints. I was going picking them up and bringing them home. I mean, even though they were old enough to like. I mean, you know how it is here. It's not like, you know, the U.S. You can still walk around and walk home. I had, it, it was not safe at all. And you had no idea where they were going to put the next checkpoint. So um, 
a lot of it wasn't just me. It was like all all the moms were going. Um, honestly, uh, like fun fact, this is when I saw a surge in women driving and uh, in personal cars because people felt safer uh, taking their kids and bringing them home by themselves. So um, you know, not like necessarily on a bus or something. Because that was the other thing at a checkpoint when you get stopped the bus gets stopped and everybody has to come off mm. so um it was um like picking them up going through the soldiers and then you know the soldiers are usually the new ones so they're cocky most of the time and most of the time they have no clue if you get there everybody tries to make the idf that they're just like this you know um super trained Mossad, they're, no, they're a bunch of thugs. So you don't know who you're going to end up with that day. I mean, I've gotten beat up, I've gotten slapped, I've gotten humiliated. Um, and this is all just to go pick up my kids from school and I haven't done anything. And then with the boys, the boys, I mean, the more, the more rugged and the bigger and the darker they are, they do go after them. And, um, and then there was the period of time during Intifada too, where we were, where we were constantly being asked to take off our, our clothes at different periods. So there was also those searches. So you know, because they were quote unquote looking for, uh, you know, we were going to blow ourselves up. So everybody became um, a moving uh, a combatant. I'm not a moving target. We're moving. I mean, we were just you know, you're either dormant or active combatant. And it was their job to find who was. Um, and then the losing of residency. We were losing people were losing the residency. People were having the ball was being built in the middle of houses, in front of houses. You had no idea where it was going to end up. And we were Shafat was under threat to be taken um, onto the West Bank side. Now, with me complaining about the occupation and about about the apartheid system. You're like, okay, and why don't you want to go to with the West Bank? Well, the problem is if you go with the West Bank, you are cut off from everything. So the the healthcare and the, all the benefits that you get from belonging to a state and a state structure do not exist in the West Bank. And you're cut off from that. And so there's always that constant threat. Um, if you have to leave the country, you have to go through on them. Um, you can't leave the West Bank. When I have a Jerusalem ID, I can at least drive wherever I want. Or a Jerusalem ID or an Israeli citizenship. So you're constantly, um, you're constantly, you know, trying to weigh things, weigh things out and nothing that you do is right. You hate the state and then you don't. So, um, I don't know if it, I don't know how to like, cause you, you tell the kids, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to frame it. Honestly, I don't know how to process it or frame it. I can, I can recognize that it would be a great challenge. Uh, especially as an American. Sorry, I'm gonna, thank you for, uh, sharing with us your experience. Um, Ori, I'd be happy to bring it to you and uh, you know, tell us how your experience differs from uh, Kifa's and as well, if she said something that you would like to push back on, uh, this would be the time as well. Okay, so 
we moved back, me and my wife and my three children, um, about six years ago. But we'd been here for the year for a year, two years before that, for a sabbatical and a postdoc. And when we first arrived for that full year, the kids had been here for summers before that. Um, there was a war in Gaza, and there were two missiles that struck fairly close to Jerusalem. Nothing that was anywhere near the family, and. Uh, so my oldest was in third grade at that point. My youngest was two, uh, and my son is in the middle. It's girl, boy, girl. And we had to explain to them why it was that we had to go, you know, into a safe space when the sirens went off. One of the things that we did with them to help them feel more safe and comfortable is we had them write a letter to the son of friends of ours, who was a commander of, uh, of an elite unit, and thanked them for keeping them safe. While at the same time, uh, we were very concerned with the civilian cas casualties in Gaza. So what we had to deal with there, and subsequently, is how they can see the army as something that keeps them safe and also see the army that engages in things that their parents disagree with morally and politically. Um, so it's very complicated and they've grown up with that kind of complexity in their home. However, their lives have never been circumscribed by soldiers and security checks and, and the way the political geography is managed in Jerusalem to the benefit of the people they belong to. Um, so for instance, there are strange things that they we don't want them to be afraid of Arabs and Palestinians. We raised them in the US to be conscious of civil rights um, and pro-equality. And then they see stuff about terrorists and piguim, uh, terrorist operations, attacks, and that's something that's very confusing for them. Um, but all of this is conceptually confusing. They mostly do not feel under threat, and they mostly see the army as something keeping them safe from people who want to hurt them. And they will, at some point, um, you know, after, after they're done with their schooling, unless they choose to refuse, they will serve in in the IDF. Um, but I think that there's another, you know, something that, that needs to be marked. And that's that Kifa is speaking from Shofat, which is a village that is now a neighborhood of Jerusalem on the north side of Jerusalem, over in the direction of Haratzofim, of Mount Scopus. And I live in Baca. Baca is in southwest or south Jerusalem. It's within the 1948 boundaries. It's, you know, on the Israeli side of the green line. Um, but I'm speaking to you from the porch of my, of my apartment. It's the second floor of a, of a four-story apartment building. The first story is something that, until the 80s, would have been referred to in Hebrew as a Bait Aravi, an Arab house. But what that means is that until 1948, 
It was a Palestinian home, which is also a translation of bait can mean home. So I think of it as a bait Palestinai. And the the residents of that house fled. And then in the 80s, they built more floors on it. Now I rent this apartment, but it's something that I'm conscious of all the time. I live literally on top of the history of Palestinians living in this neighborhood and Palestinians who no longer live in this neighborhood. And that's another complexity that my, my children grew up, grow up trying to deal with. Um, and at the same time, for instance, my children's elementary school, which is a public religious elementary school, meaning that it has a double curriculum with more religious instruction or instruction in religious texts. Um, the guard at the gate of his school, who was armed, was named Taufik. And all the kids knew him that way. He was a retired Israeli policeman. Um, and he would sit there, he would bring candy and hand out kosher candy to the kids on the last day before vacations that celebrated holidays. So on the one hand, they know that there are Palestinians who wish them harm. On the other hand, here's a Palestinian who we trust to stand armed at his at their school gate, and I have I had no question that he would act to protect them if somebody tried to harm the school. Um, as we can see, vastly different experiences, especially in how the soldiers are viewed. So, you know, it, it's. It's fascinating because, you know, Ori, as you mentioned, you you teach your sold your children that your the soldiers are here to protect us. Kifa referred to them as thugs. You know, naturally, when I hear the term thugs, it, it I find it it almost triggers me like I it, like I feel a pinch. And, you know, because I was a soldier, my family were soldiers and I don't consider ourselves thugs. But I I do recognize from Kifa's perspective, from her lived experience, you know, that's how soldiers come off. Um, when you stand with a gun, just a second. When, when you stand yeah. with a gun in a community that you don't represent, and you yell profanities at a girl who is coming home from school, you're acting like a thug, and that's fairly normal. I'm referencing things that Kifa's daughter has gone through. She's been called a whore in Arabic by Israeli soldiers. Do I think that all soldiers are thugs? No, I do think that putting young people with guns in charge of a population that they've been taught is trying to destroy them, literally, their lives, that it's very difficult to expect them to behave in a respectful way. And, and it often depends on the commander who's there in place, whether they function respectfully or not. But there's no way to run a benevolent military occupation. You are governing a non-consenting population literally by the barrel of the gun. There is no way to do that benevolently. There's also no way to do that in which it won't be resisted in different ways. The vast majority of Palestinian resistance is nonviolence. I see in the chat that people are already saying, but Palestinians blow people up. Well, the Israeli army has also engaged in uh, operations that have blown civilians up, non-combatants up. And 
this is explained as a security necessity and the non-combatants are collateral damage or it's blamed on the Palestinians for where they're putting their non-combatants. From the Palestinian perspective, I see why that seems like an attack on non-combatants. Um, I understand terrorism not according to um, a moral evaluation of the combatant's aim or whether the combatant represents a state or not, but purely methodologically. Mm -hmm. Terrorism is the deployment of violence against non-combatants to advance a political agenda. So when Palestinians point to often normal operations that are meant to intimidate, I mean, when, when I would patrol during the first Intifada, Palestinian communities, often I was told that what we were doing there was demonstrating presence. In other words, they would know that Jews with guns are around and they wouldn't cause problems. Is that using violence? I think it is the deployment of violence. Is the agenda political? Yes. Does that mean I was a terrorist? I think that's complicated. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, th I think it, you know, it just points to how vastly different, you know, people on opposing sides see the same situation. You know, there's the saying one person, one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. So, you know, in that same, in that same well, breath, we could say, freedom, one, but you're not existing at, Wait, hold on, hold on, Kifa. Let me just finish this up. You, you could also say one person. Okay. Wait, Kifa, let me finish my thought. What one person's defender is another person's thug. So what what we're seeing how the role how we military defenders, our brothers and sisters, are viewed vastly different to people on the other side. Uh, Kifa, all you. Okay, but I still do not understand how placing Israeli military and Palestinian space, space that you people and space that you do not recognize is protecting Israelis. I'm going to try to think of this as an Israeli and as a Jew. I mean, I would feel safer if these people run, if I was Israeli, around my neighborhoods and in front of my doors. Why are you sending them to, to mining? I mean, you're sending them to Palestinian neighborhoods. You don't recognize us. Um, you're constantly, um, the way that I see it is, is that it's a call for, for, for battle and that um, people, people are not safe. I mean, when you go outside and you see somebody armed, your automatic reaction is that you've got to do something. Something, you know, like, and you're constantly on alert. I don't understand how this makes anybody safer. I don't understand how this, how by putting, um, I mean, the way that I see is that you're putting combatants in my area. You are putting people to combat me, whether it's physically or emotionally or, or mentally. You're sending them out every day and you're giving legitimacy to a violent resistance. Or you did say that there is an, yes, we are. Every day when we get up in the morning, every day, whatever we do to, to stay here, this is Samud, and this is this is a nonviolent resistance. But there are people who do not believe that that's enough, and who believe that the only way to get anything done is through violent resistance. We cannot deny it. But and how do we stop that? How do we stop like this, this these dynamics? And it's not by occupying us. And it's not just the occupation. Look, in the West Bank, it's a little bit more physical. There's structures, there's things everywhere. In Jerusalem, 
It's the taxation without representation. It is the, the paperwork. It's the house demolitions. Uh, th there's so many different facets, not just the army. It takes 20 cars to come. The, the other morning I was walking out, it's probably about 6.30. There's two huge bulldozers, about 20 cars. And there are all the different cars. You have the, um, the secret, I don't know what y'all call them, secret service people. Like they're the undercover cars. They're the white yeah. cars. The general yeah, security. and then you have, right. So they're, they, you know, you don't know that they're uh, security, but they are. And they just show up like, anywhere and they're in plain clothes and then you have the jeeps and then you have the the special ops the, the people in black i just have i have everybody color coded so and then you just see that and they're all coming out why would i feel that those same cars that went and demolished the house just the day before the same cars when they're in my neighborhood that they're there to protect my kids when i see an idf soldier i take my child inside they scare the hell out of me and it doesn't mean that when I'm scared that I shut up. I also I also do have the right to, to, to stand up to them. And I'm not, as an American, going to put up with something that's just, it, it, it's so dehuman, dehumanizing and it's humiliating to walk out every day and you're, and you're caged up like an animal. Shafat has become easier. We now have police. We don't have the, the idea. We're not like the West Bank. So they've civilized it a bit. They've cleaned it up a bit. But we don't call the police when things happen because they're not a protective force. So, Kifa, I think most Israelis, it's not that they support abusive Palestinians, it's that they support a military presence because they feel it keeps them safe. And be, because of our history of facing terrorism and our deep collective trauma of the Holocaust and persecution before the Holocaust, the, the concept of, of being a nation that can secure ourselves is very strong within the Israeli psyche. So can you, can you understand why Israelis support military presence? Because it, it seems that that no, military because presence is before in the way the standing between okay, and before the before the state was, okay and before the state was created when where when and where were palestinians uh, protected by who by the british by the jordanians by the ottomans if you go back under ottoman rule there there were fatwas passed because they tried to demilitarize us and they tried to conscript our, our sons so when and where in history were palestinians protected or seen as a even with our political movements or, or any type of organization, were, were we ever considered as legitimate and representing the people here and that these people were recognized and treated as equals by whatever power was here? I don't find that as an excuse. Okay. I mean, we exist in your lives in every single mm -hmm. I'd, I'd I'd like to interject here something about about the army the army exists for the security of the state and all of its citizens it also is the arm of the state that rules an enormous several million non-citizens now there is a you uh, uh, a purpose for the army in keeping the external borders safe i don't think it would make any sense 
okay. unilaterally disarm uh, the IDF, given what's going up on in Syria and Lebanon, um, in the Sinai. I don't think that that would make Palestinians any safer either. The problem is this, when we talk about security, Israel is right now an extremely secure place in one sense. It's, it's an extremely secure place because it invests in, we invest in constantly making sure that we maintain material physical supremacy over both external and internal enemies of the state or opponents of the state. And yet I think that that's a sign of our insecurity. Canada is secure. If Canada completely disarmed its, its military tomorrow, the Danes would not attack from Greenland. Nobody is, is threatening either the borders of the state or the physical security of the uh, residents, inhabitants, and citizens. What we have in our situation is a way in which in a sense it's it's massive supremacy the massive investment in it are sending our children to it is a sign of our insecurity here and the army as a solution to that insecurity actually promotes the insecurity it needs to hold in check so it's very hard to move from there but it's going to be impossible to move from there as long as we rule uh, a large population of non-citizens against their will. Kifa, can, can you can you understand that perspective? You yeah. know, from Israelis, that the, the need to be secure, it, it, regardless of the fact that Palestinians have had their their somebody securing them that, that could negate every nation's ability to defend themselves okay i understand okay but we also have that right i can understand totally where or is coming from everybody within this territory has the same right i don't understand why ori or anybody else that identifies as ori is more important than me i have the right to walk out and to be safe and to be protected within the territory. And uh, I, I don't understand, um, I understand how the state functions. I understand that a state has to protect and has to monitor its borders. That's, that's, um, that's a given. And I under, look, what's weird about living here, there are state functions, there's where the state is functioning, like you have the Batfarim, you have the Tukulami, and you have the bureaucracy, and you have the paperwork that any normal state does. And then you have the layer, the layer that separates all of us and does not allow all of us the, the same type of, um, um, the same ability to function. I mean, I, you know what? It's not even about equal access. I don't, I don't want any favors. I just want to be able to function in the same way that any other uh, person would. Do. So, um, and it, it, this constant. I mean, the way that I see it, with a, with a military president, I feel like there's a constant threat. I constantly feel like we are. We're, there's something going to happen. And it it doesn't it doesn't leave any type of stability. 
and it doesn't allow me either to identify where the state is protected. Mm, yeah, I mean, most Palestinians just want to see it go. Does that mean no? Does that mean that we want Jews to go? Does that mean we want to destroy them? Does that mean we're anti-Semitic? And like, I think in the past mm -hmm. few days I've heard the word anti-Semitic like eight million times. But um, no, I mean, I I see your security and you're being safe. That it totally is going to reflect. I mean. I think it should not be have an identity. It should not be debated. Is, or, or, I, sorry, you, or is, I, I think that what needs to be articulated here is that Kifa and I are good friends and close allies. We've written things together. We run a Facebook group together. We are both committed to equality in a way that I think isn't necessarily representative of either of our populations. For instance, just last week, somebody typing on Facebook from North Dakota told me that if I cared about justice for Palestinians, that me and my family, we have no right to live on colonized land from North Dakota. Now, Kifa does not want me and my family to leave. Kifa was a guest just a few months ago at my and with her husband and son at my son's bar mitzvah. Um, and we are we both share a vision in which we think that security and what people call peace or the different things that people call peace stems from equality both civic equality, individual equality, um, communal equality. And it's not acceptable to either of us that she is less secure and that her rights are unequal to mine. That's something that we both oppose. And it's something we share that opposition. Um, the question is how we get there because I don't think you unilaterally disarm the IDF. And even if you did, I mean, even if that's what you wanted to, you it, it's unachievable politically. So the question is how we proceed as allies in a situation in which we're deeply unequal. Would you, would you like to um, put forth what you think a, a good first step would be to achieving that? I think, first of all, Israel needs an equal protection clause. There needs to be an explicit guarantee of equality before the law. And I think that that needs to be in some ways extended to non-citizens. I don't think you can have, you can advance equality where, where you don't have an equal protection clause, where we aren't equal before the law and where in the West Bank, you have citizens living next to non-citizens with two different legal regimes governing them. I think that that is an impossibility. I don't think that, I mean, there's an issue also of equality of access to resources that this affects. So while Kifa's family, I think, is probably economically in a much better status than than my family is i think that i'm the privileged one because the mechanisms of the state and the mechanisms of the municipality address my needs first 
Great. I, I think that's uh, sounds like a great first step to me. Th that wouldn't include certain civil, because um, you know that's something Israel could do. Israel could decide to have equal protection under the law, but if there's like a local crime in Ramallah, then that would still be under the PA's authority, correct? Sure. Okay. But why is the PA? I mean, let's why be honest. The Palestinian Authority is the subcontractor of the IDF for Israeli security. And it also manages a lot of aid into the pockets of the corrupt individuals that run it. I, I speak with, with Palestinians face-to-face -face and on, online fairly regularly. I have yet to meet or engage with a Palestinian who feels represented by the Palestinian Authority. So we have to be honest about what the PA actually is. Or who knows Kifa. how it works. Sorry, Kifa, I missed that. Yeah. What I was saying is that um, with the PA, the problem, the problem with the PA, nobody knows how it works. Like uh, I've, I've never come across. I mean, um, like going over my son's, my my kids' work. I've never. They've never taken in school how the PA functions. I mean, we're, we're a, you know, remember like they took government and econ and all that good stuff in high school. Kids here don't take it. We don't take civics. We don't take anything. The only type of governance that they do take is uh, Islamic. They will take that in dean class and religion class. That's the only type where that's the only place where they learn that you can vote. And, and I, honestly, I think that's probably one of the things that have, um, help like with Islamic uh, uh, political groups is that they do people some type of sense of representation. But um, the PA, I do not, it, I mean, it's just, and like with the, the whole AIDS culture and the welfare culture, like they killed, they killed a, a lot of things. Um, it, it did not, I don't, it just kept us, it, it basically enabled and made the occupation nicer and just more palatable and continue it until I until what is happening now until annexation happens. it did not give us freedom and the, and the problem is like look Ori and I have also supported one state I guess maybe I, again we're going to bring up the fact that we're Americans and so and Adar so are you so we've all lived in the states and we look as equals and we do not understand why when we come over here I mean, no, well, we do. There's a lot of dynamics and there's a lot of narratives going on here that don't happen in the States. And why can't we try to build that same type of society or, or thinking here? So um, I don't know. It's, it's like, and I, I see the PA as basically um, a huge hindrance to that. And, and, so the, the thing that I'm like, we've been just trying to figure out is how to more or less get to that point. So are, are you on the opinion that the PA should be removed from, from power? Absolutely. What, what do you think a practical step? Absolutely, because it's a method. practical steps i don't i don't know all the answers and there's not enough people right. sitting down to come up with them right. there's not enough people. but the, the thing is the thing that i would like to get to there are enough people here side of palestine when i talk about palestine from north to south 
east to west, from river to the sea. There's enough people here. Okay, even even okay, the, even if you don't recognize me, your state doesn't recognize me. I do recognize the fact that there are people on the ground here in Palestine that are calling themselves Israeli. These people have their 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 own rights, customs, way of talking, way of doing things, and they're in my life every day. And basically, I'm obligated to sit down and think how things are going to continue. And there are enough people on the ground who can do that. We don't need outside help. That that can happen. But when and where, I don't know. With the powers of the, I don't know. It's going to take a lot of work. And a lot of work that's never been established from before. Because we were always put, and I'm not complaining. We've been put at a disadvantage. And we've demilitarized. And we're still able to fight a $3 billion army. Um, and with nothing. So you you do, I mean, we, we've done well. And the resistance has done well, whether it be nonviolent or violent. And we, we have still established our presence here. But there's more to it. There's more to life than that. And nobody has, has ever gone beyond that. I think that on the grassroots level, neither of us are involved in, in framing policy. I think that the most important thing we can do is shift the discourse from speaking about peace to speaking about equality. When we say peace, literally I watch Palestinians' eyes glaze over because what peace now means to them is sit down, shut up, and take it. And when you talk to Israelis about peace, I think Israelis understand peace as a lack of violence, of explicit violence in, in combatant circles. That's that to me is quiet. That isn't peace. And quiet for me right now means that for Kifa and her family, well, first of all, it means that her sons don't live here because she doesn't want them going into Israeli prisons. And statistically, according to the incarceration rates, at least one of them would be in an Israeli jail now, whether they did something explicitly violent or not. And possibly without being charged, administrative detentions are pretty open-ended, and because we don't have equality before the law, their recourse is highly, highly impeded. Um, so that's peace. Putting her kids in jail is peace, but it's not peace to me. That's not peace. And as long as we talk about peace, we're going to have two groups of people envisioning something that isn't actually peace. And I think the more that we reframe the political debate around equality, both individual and communal equality in this land, I think the closer we're going to be to, to framing policies that address the interests of all involved. And I think countries that function well internally are countries where a high percentage of the citizens feel invested in the stability of the state. Right now, the stability of the state is a threat to many Palestinians. It means that, again, my kid's going to grow up and go to the army, and st statistically, their kids are going to grow up and be thrown in jail. I, I actually really appreciate that perspective, Ori. I've never thought of it in those terms, focus on equality and not on peace. 
do you think that naturally would would create a situation where we have peace or looks like we lost Kifa. hopefully she's back soon um do, do you think that would naturally lead to peace or is that just step one and then there's step two we still have a whole bunch we need to work out i think there's a whole much we need we need to work out i don't see a situation in which we get through any peaceful process to a, to a single state in which both communities feel represented and in which they're rep, in which they're they're invested i don't see that happening um, the paradigm that makes most sense to me is some kind of an open border confederation so there would be a territory that is palestinian and there would be a territory that is israeli and yet palestinians and israelis could live anywhere throughout the land um, and take their citizenship with them sort of like in the eu i think it would actually work much better here than in the eu because our economies are already developed there would have to be certain um certain bodies umbrella bodies that that are joint that have very clearly defined jurisdiction um and there would have to be some sort of a binational border police force um but that that security force would represent both communities and both communities would be invested in it. The problem is that I don't think most people here think about equality the way that I do and the way Kifa does. There are many Palestinians that want my family to leave, not just the guy from North Dakota who thinks I'm the one living on colonized land. Um, there are that they think that's the solution. Eventually the Jews will leave and we'll make them leave. Kiva doesn't believe that way. That's why she's my ally. I can't be the ally of somebody who negates my rights. She cannot be the ally of somebody, or, or I cannot be the her ally as long as I don't advocate for her rights as equal to my own. And that's the place I think we need to get to. I think a confederation is a way to do that, but there doesn't seem to be the political will. There is a, a, a movement, a grassroots movement called Land for All that is promoting this paradigm. I think it's a paradigm that makes a lot of sense um, but that's not where either population is right now. And I think until we start replacing every mention of peace with equality, that equality is the goal, I don't think that that is going to shift. Um, okay, I'm, I'm with you on that. That, that sounds good. Um, about the Confederacy, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. Confederacy, Confederation, let's be very clear. I've been on Twitter too much. Yeah. Not the Confederacy, the Confederation, big difference. Um, the Confederation, which is similar to the European Union, it seems to be that it's a plan that has been picking up steam in recent years, and rightfully so. I think all too many people uh, are not on board with the two-state solution because the land is important to them and they want access to all sorts of holy sites. They want to be able to visit either a holy site or where their ancestors lived. They just want access to the entire land. So two-state solution cuts the land in half in a way that doesn't make it accessible to both population. Uh, the one-state one solution concerns mainly Israelis for a demographic reason who 
want it to either, and this could come from a religious perspective or from a secular perspective. Religious people want it to remain Jewish. Many secular people want it to remain liberal. And the demographic issue can make it both illiberal and uh, not non-Jewish. The, the confederation seems to solve these issues. The way I look at I I consider myself agnostic when it comes to solutions. I, I would support any solution that seems to have a consensus amongst Israelis and Palestinians that provide equality, security, and the ability for prosperity to both nations. But it does seem like um, a confederation does solve that. Uh, Kifa, welcome back. What 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 are your thoughts on a confederation? What what do I think? Which is essentially two states, one land. I don't no, I don't believe in two states because uh, we're already functioning as one state. It's a lie to say that we're not. We're functioning badly as one state. Um, we've been functioning as one state since um, we never made the transition to any type of two state. We have ghettos. We have places that are sectioned off, and um, and with different populations. And they're not integrated, but I and I and like you said, but the different like, but there has to be some certain things omitted for, for things to go forward, like the idea that, and the like the idea that anybody can claiming to be Jewish or identifying as Jewish can come back and you are presented with a huge aliyah gift, you know, you get you get this whole homecoming thing. And you know, like y'all get land, you get property that all belongs to us. All of Palestine was zoned with taxed and had people living on it. Not every single inch. The Ottomans were very good about mapping and cartography. So every single inch of Palestine had some kind of function. If not, if, even if it was zoned nothing, there was there was something to it. And most, most everywhere that Israelis lived, there were Palestinians there. We were using the land. The, you mentioned the or where you live when, and that house was paid for, that house was taxed, that house, the trees were taxed, and none of that is recognized. I do not understand how, just because you, I like, I, I'm Muslim. I cannot because I believe um, that, the, you know, we're, we're required to go on pilgrimage to Kaaba. I can uh, to to Mecca. I can't claim anything there. I have not bought or paid for any property around the Kaaba. How can I claim it as my own? And this is what's happened. This is why it's not. How, and then since when did Aliyah? Aliyah is a it's a historical fact. Jews have been coming back to the region for ages. And how how and when did that become land appropriation? When my grandfathers had business, a lot of the Jews that they dealt with, they were they were coming in from Hungary and they were coming in from different places. They didn't come in and steal land. They bought things just like anybody else. When did it all change? Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's a lot of books, a lot of documentation. We know, and everything was was in Jewish favor. But uh, for again, for things to go forward, those narratives need to be. I mean, they cannot be used for privilege. You can believe in them. You can believe whatever you want. But you cannot ever think that you, either one of you, have the right to my property. I took a lot of good care. Or you've been here. 
I mean, I take good care of my trees. How could I mean, why, why would, I mean, and, and it's literally happening. I mean, you can walk down to the settlement. The settlement, they just plopped down. First, they came in trailers. It was because they had a little much shlomo. Plopped down. So the, the, um, the what's it called? The trailers become uh, buildings. You can't go anywhere near there. They send their kids out. They come out in guns. They threaten you. And it's your land. And so, a lot of them, yeah. And uh, or, or unless you want to chime in, I, I would like to uh, give give some response here. Um, I, mean, I, I would just corroborate that I've been a guest in Kifo's home. She has in her yard an olive tree that dates potentially back to the Mamluk period. And I have seen trees in her olive orchard that have been vandalized and burned. I've seen the bro broken branches. I've seen them charred. And Kifa's kids aren't going over to the nearby settlement, settlement and doing anything to the civilian property there. So I have a lot of sympathy. I think that, and also it shows that the security forces are set up to protect one, one population, not both populations, and indeed to protect that population at the expense of the other. They do not take these attacks on Kifa's family and her property seriously. Right. Again, going back to the issue of equality, uh, Kifa, I would like to, you know, shine perhaps a different perspective on, on land. There certainly has been a systematic um, taking of land, as you can call it. There's no denying that, and it's horrible. And anybody who has had their land taken would not forgive that being done. So I am fully sympathetic with with, with that, and I, 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 I understand where you're coming from. But there also, I think, there, there needs to be a limit to what it means to return land, and, and I'll explain why. Because I think that we can create a situation of justice without creating a new injustice. So we currently have, I think it's seven million, six, seven million Jews living on the land. Most of them are on just one side of the land. This is the only home they've ever known. This land means a lot to them. To go to go back and and you undo a justice from the past by doing, by by committing a new injustice towards people who themselves did not commit crimes towards the Palestinians. They were born into a situation. They were born onto land that was stolen in the past. But this is not so different from almost any any people living today. They they were born on land that their ancestors stole from other people, including Palestinians. Palestinians. At a certain point, not all of them, you know, Pal Palestinians is a diverse et ethnic group, but, you know, many Palestinians have DNA that comes from Arabia and conquered a lot of the land in Israel. But it, it doesn't seem like a legitimate claim for that to be a justification to remove Palestinians from their homes. So, again, I, I do not support punishing the ancestors, the, the children of ancestors who committed crimes. And I think if we, if we begin to do that, then there's very few people on this earth who are safe 
from injustice. So I would like to find a solution where we give justice to the Palestinians without creating a new injustice to Israelis. And uh, both of you feel free to respond to that. Wait, do you think I'm asking you to, okay, when I, like this is like, I don't have all the answers, but I do know what happened. And this is why, why I've, nobody's ever addressed this issue. When, we, when there's negotiations going on, whatever happened to us in our history is ignored. Now, the other thing that, um, I, what, I mean, what part, when you hear me say this, do you think I'm asking you to leave? Or you think I'm asking like for the whole Israeli population to be trained? That, that's a huge task. I mean, I don't know. How, I mean, so I, and again, not, that's where, that's what I'm trying uh, to understand. How's this information being processed? I'm telling so, you this happened. And and I and again, Israelis are here. They are, but we have not been able to. I mean, because of the 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 power disparity, we've never been able to come to any kind of conclusion or any type of closure on the past. And the, the population shifts are. No, I understand that. We're, again, let's use America. Um, we all know what happened there. Okay, but again. Um, History, I think history, and I think futures, better futures are built when people are able to address this and address this well. I don't have all the answers. Is it my right? Um, I mean, there's a lot of layers. I mean, like, there was a project in Lifta a while back. You had the people who were moved out. And you see, this is where we have the keys and the deeds and all this. And then you have, I think the state wanted to take over part of Lifta. And they wanted to develop it and the people who owned it there's a lot of layers to this a another part of it is that there's no, you know just take out the politics there's no cohesive any type of land registry here us as palestinians we're still de dealing with jordanian law and british law when it comes to ownership do you know how screwy that is kiva can i just in interject one thing yeah. mm -hmm. um, many people don't know this especially people who don't live here but very, very, very few Jews own any land here. The land belongs to the government. If you right. buy a house here or an apartment, the land underneath you is always going to stay state land in the vast majority of situations. You only buy the thing on top of the land. Right. So that's, it's part of the, in, the sort of arcane way that ownership through Ottoman law, through what was continued through the British and what was not continued, and then what was developed out of that mishmash, which wasn't a coherent system, by early Israeli governments, which were to benefit the settlement of Jews here and to minimize the Palestinian population. That was its explicit goal. So we, we are in a situation where Kifa's family owns land in Jerusalem. Very few Jews can own land in Jerusalem. On the other hand, her cousin's house that was built on land that they own was demolished because after years and years of trying to get a permit to building, and I saw the remains of this right after it was demolished, after years and years of trying to get permits, they couldn't get permit to build on land they owned. It was officially in their name and they, their family was growing up. They needed space, so they built the house they invested a lot of money and time building this house, again, on land they legally owned in a way that very few Jews can own land here. And the Israelis came once one morning um, with 
you know, armed forces and bulldozers and destroyed the home they built on their own land. So when, when we're talking about land ownership, it's often very confusing. It is. And then on my side, we're also dealing with, again, I'm going to bring this up. You have um, to renting property out. You're still dealing with Jordanian. Sorry. No, no, all good. You can finish your point. I just, you, you, you asked me to clarify uh, my position, so I, I wanted to do that. I'm, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to need to go in a minute. I'm going to need to go in a minute. I'm very happy to have a part two of this. Yeah, nitty gritty. I'm very, I'm very open to that, but I do need to go. All good. Um, so, Kifa, can you stay on? Because I'd be happy to continue this discussion. Yes, cool. Or you, you want to give us uh, some final words? I, I think that I've, I've made my orientation to the problem fairly clear, um, and I do think we get nowhere until we understand that our own rights depend upon, exercise of our own rights depend upon the freedom of others to exercise their rights and to have their rights respected. And we have to get to a situation in which, you know, one, one state, two state, red state, blue state, that uh, we have some sort of political organization that benefits the communities equally and represents them equally so that we feel invested in them. So we need equality before the law, first and foremost. Great. Th uh, thank you, Ori. I truly appreciate your perspective and I would be happy to bring you on for, for a round two. Okay. Thank you very much. Your time. Yeah. So Kifa, uh, and, and yeah. then there were two, hold on, let's find the best setting. That looks good. So just to clarify my position, I I recognize very well. Uh, it looks like your daughter would like to join. Should right. we bring her on? Are you, maybe you, you sent her the wrong link. Oh, is she? I don't know. If you want did, her to join, <laughs> well, I I'm, I'm happy to bring her on. The question is, does she know she's joining a live stream? Did did you did you send her Let to view? I think I sent her the, to view, and then. So ask her if okay. she wants to come on. I'd I'd be happy to bring her on as well. Okay. We're, we're spontaneous. We're going with the flow, you know. <laughs> Let me see. So, yeah, I'm just. I'll clarify mm -hmm. my point. Go ahead. I know. I know very well that you don't want Jews to leave. As Ori mm -hmm. said, that's why he can consider you an ally. Some Palestinians do expect Jews to leave. You understand that Jews will remain on this land. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the roadblocks to achieving a solution is that a, a large amount of people on both sides don't recognize the importance of sovereignty for, for each other's nation. So it, it seems like your rejection to the two-state mm -hmm. And it's not the traditional two-state solution. It still has open borders, so Israelis and Palestinians can travel freely. But it seems like your objection was, why should it be two states when that is our land? And, you know, I, I definitely understand that sentiment, but I just have a little obje objection to it because 
many Israelis say the same thing about the entire West Bank, that that is our land. They, they refuse to compromise the, the, on the idea that you have two populations inhabiting the same piece of land. Luckily, the majority of one population is on one side and the majority of the population is on the other side, which still allows us to give sovereignty to both nations. So I, I really think that's the appeal in the two-state solution. Um, what, what I would say the, the downside is, is many Palestinians and many Israelis want to be able to travel freely to every, all corners of Israel and Palestine, and that's understandable. Um, and, and they'd like to live anywhere on the land, and that's understandable as well. So it seems like there's a hybrid solution, which is a confederation, which gives both uh, nations sovereignty over a piece of land with open borders. Uh, Israelis and Palestinians could work, you know, in each other's land. They could they could move there and have some residency status. Um, the question is, do you have something fundamentally against a solution like this? Do I have anything? I mean, I, I don't think I'm I'm in, in place of authority to. I mean, uh, the only thing that I am against is speak um, for yourself. I recognize yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, but again, there has not not enough people are coming forward to to come up with something. I mean, um, the the two uh, whatever it is that's representing us. I mean, you guys have the Knesset or whatever uh, State Department or whatever representing you guys and we don't recognize that and whatever we have from our side the plo most most of the israeli population does not recognize that so i i don't see um i unless look unless channels are open and they're open well there's a difference look that there's also the the issue of normalization when talking to israelis so the thing that I, this isn't about like more or less. I, I'm totally like I I do recognize there are nar narratives and beliefs, but I don't think they should more or less strive or motivate where where we need to go. I think that's a personal thing. So um, and and when it comes to normalization, I I the problem the problem with talking with Israelis and again one uh, a lot of us do not feel comfortable. Uh, talking with Israelis because in in the beginning and in the end they either serve for the IDF or their children will or they have some connection to it and the I mean you cannot give me some any scenario where it has played a positive role in, in a Palestinian life so um, sure maybe they held somebody's groceries or they got whatever photo ops um, normalization is where you accept the narrative and and the, the nicknames that they give us like that we're terrorists and um that we don't belong here and we have no history you know the i'm sure you know the whole spiel so. the demonization for sure it's pre it's exactly. more than i'd like to admit for sure i i the only people i do see us talking with and we should be talking with and we should be talking again talking to well and talking to productively are the other people who are inhabiting this land, whether it be amongst our own communities or between communities. And 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 again, there are enough people, we're already working together. We're occupying, you're, you're occupying me and I'm I'm resisting you. So however it's working, it's it's working here. It's working badly, it's working well. The symbiosis that exists here can very well, all that energy can be used to change into something else.
So, um, as for juicing, I don't know. I mean, that again, that goes back to personal belief, but personal belief, again, when it shifts to where it gives you rights or ownership and, and me under the constant threat, like with us having the three settlements around us and always under, because there's different ways of taking over land. There's taxation, there's just where they just come in. So that constant threat of instability, you just know something's going to get screwed up. The Arnona, you know how they the the house tax, them going through different areas where just all of a sudden you have all these taxes. Uh, there's the zoning when they come in and they start zoning things that have never been zoned before, or they haven't been zoned since the Turks, and and and, and trying to come up with money for that. So um, no. Uh, I don't know. There, there's there's a state apparatus, and there's a way that it's functioning, and then there's political and or and nobody's been able to put anything coherent or cohesive that everybody can understand. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, you wanna do you wanna get more into the topic of um, normalization versus anti-normalization because I think that's important. And it seems like I'm uh, pivoting to something vastly different, but you you said yourself that you can't speak for anybody else. And you're right, you right. can only speak for yourself. I think one of the issues we have is a lack of dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians. And when we have a lack of dialogue, we have a lack of trust. Lack of trust uh, creates fear. Fear creates support for uh, militarism, generally speaking. So. I personally think, and I understand why anti-normalization exists. You should not normalize ties with someone who's deemed the enemy, with somebody who subjects you to cruel conditions. I get that. But because the nature of this conflict is so intertwined with, with fearing of one another, right? It's, it's not as simple. And I know many, many make it seem like this. It's not a colonizer just here to colonize land. It's not like that. I, I, I know that's, that's, that's a common perspective amongst Palestinians, but if, if you actually- Yeah, you're, you the actually, only calling, you're the only colony that hasn't left. And you're the only colony that claims everything is yours. So- So that, that's the huge difference. Yeah, but, but the difference is that we're not a colony of any other nation. So colonies are generally sent from a country Abroad. to colonize a different land. Who, who, who's our mother nation? We don't have one. We, right. we are just, you know, Jews, and, and this is the only home that most of us have ever known. I happen to have the privilege of being a dual citizen, but most Israelis, they're, they're not here living in a colony. They're living in what they consider home. Now, right. we, we, could, we could blame this on poor leadership that, that Israelis are voting for the wrong people and we could say that the Palestinians are stuck in a situation where they can't even vote for their leadership. But one way to get better leadership is to have a population that has more trust of one another. So I, I really do view, you know, the, the concept of engaging in dialogue as essential towards achieving peace because with this amount of fear we have now, we are voting for the wrong people. And this is true even amongst Palestinians who cannot vote. But it does seem like if there were elections um, tomorrow in the West Bank, that Hamas would win that election. They would. The, they probably would. Yes. Yeah. So because they offer 
But they offer military protection. Right. And, and, you know, this freaks the hell out of Israelis. Israelis see this. They don't see this as, oh, Palestinians just want protection. They see that this is a sign that Palestinians want to exterminate us, right? That's how it's translated in the right. mind of Israelis. Mm -hmm. If we were to have a situation where we trust one another more, I think Hamas would, would be less relevant, and so would the right-wing governments we're currently voting for. So I support normalization, but I do, do understand... Yeah, I mean, yeah, because the right I, wing they represent enough people on both sides, though. I mean, think about it. I mean, the way that I see Hamas, Hamas represents the observant Palestinian, where they did not feel represented before with, uh, with the other groups. I mean, I, I think that has a lot to do with their staying power, because if you're observant and you pray and you cover and you're doing uh, what you think makes you more Muslim. Um, now Hamas does a good job of uh, representing you and representing your views, and the same thing mm -hmm. that you guys have with the right wing. So uh, to, I don't, I don't think it's more or less like there, there are elements of the right wing, but they do exist, and there's enough of them. So, so and they're not I, ever going to go away. I agree that part of the Israeli right wing is religious based, and as you explained, so is Hamas, but. Our two biggest political parties is Likud and Kacholavan, which is a right wing and then center. Some would say center left, some would say center right, depending on where you're looking at it from. But both ran a platform of security. It, it, you see, Bibi's been running the, the campaign of security for over a decade, as long as he's been in power. It's always been about security, security, security. The, the, what, what it took to compete with Bibi was a team of of generals because they were able to make it seem like they can replace Bibi and keep Israel secure. So it's true that there's religion involved and there's ideology involved and there's economics involved. And, then, and with, your, with your security prize comes our Maqalama prize. So we, you're met, you're, they're, both terms are met right there. So when yeah. you keep saying security, we keep saying Maqalama. So same. Okay. Maqalama being resistance. Security for us. Every time, every time an Israeli leader says security, it means tachnid, tachnid, like you know, wipe out the Palestinians yeah. or wipe out the identity. And there's something else, and you know, we're, we're we're getting to normalization. Normalization, like and with a lot of these things, is that they think that um, when we're seeking equality, I don't, I don't want to be Israeli. I mean, I want to be Palestinian and think Palestinian on my land, and that's how a lot, like. I'm reading some of the comments too. So, um, like when I, when you're reading something, Israelis like has I, we don't want to be Israeli, um, and I, I, I don't even know. I mean, like just transitioning, um, and and then another part is it's really hard, like even to transition or to think of any part of Palestine as being Israeli. Because like so much of it was destroyed. I mean, you had an entire society destroyed. I, um, I, I hear you completely. And I think many Israelis feel the same way that they can't imagine being Palestinian. It, it, it seems to be a commonality between us. Now, if you want to keep your sanity, don't read the comments ever. That's, uh, <laughs> that's my rule. And as much as I, I would hope that these discussions we're having, because you know we have a rule to keep them respectful, I want that to translate into the comment section, and I can't say we've achieved that yet. And it's true that it's hard to have a nuanced conversation in the comment section. I get it, 
But you know, to the viewers now and to the commenters, ask yourself when you're writing something, ask yourself if a Palestinian were to read that, or if you're on the pro-Palestine side writing, if an Israeli were to read that, would that do anything to increase their understanding of the other side? Or would it make them defensive and close to what you have to say? If what you're saying will not be heard by the other side, then you are doing, you're just wait, you're wasting everybody's time. So please keep that in mind. Try to, try to engage in dialogue that gets the under, other side to hear your perspective. This is the only way forward. Um, so let's see if maybe that can upgrade the quality of our, uh, of our comments. Um, uh, guys, uh, also viewers, please ask questions. We're going to start getting them. I, I know some people ask questions earlier. It's very hard for me to scroll up. Uh, so please re-ask them and we will uh, make an effort to get to all of them. But you, you were talking about like when we were getting on the subject normalization. Oh, yeah, yeah. So again, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe because I live in Jerusalem and there's just like, you're part of the state structure, but you're not, you're going to the universities, but you resent the fact that you're never represented. And again, to like, look, eradication of the state is not going to more or less happen anytime soon. Um, Israel is a nuclear power. So um, even if even if they wanted it to go away, okay, uh, I don't think the rest of the world or their region doesn't want that to happen. So because of that fact. So again, nobody. And then the the thing is, is that we have a lot of narratives going on, and we have a lot of facts on the ground, and nobody's been able to come to terms with it. And and a lot of these facts on the ground are people. And again, I don't I. I don't see. I don't see how anything's going to move forward if we're we're not choosing uh, the right representatives. You know, like there was something that came up the other day. Um, somebody was asking, a diplomat was asking, if we we're going to talk to the Palestinians, who do we talk to? I mean, and that's when I really realized, like, we have no representatives. You do have a lot of people talking, and you do have a lot of people who do have spots. But seriously, nobody knows that the PA represents themselves. And outside of that, for uh, for those of the Palestinians living inside the state, they have their own issues. And those of us living in Jerusalem, we have totally, I mean, for every part, Gaza, I mean, and nobody's, um, nobody's representing them. So again, I, I don't, I don't know. And then I've dealt with enough Israelis where I know that all of them, <laughs> they you know they're they're not the stereotypes uh, that a lot of palestinians yeah. have they're normal functioning people and and people who right, honestly are, are probably going through the same uh, moral dilemmas and that i am and that same mental gymnastics where you, especially if you're coming if you grow up with a lot of things like when you're palestinian you always grow up that palestine's perfect and then you come here and it's not Right. Yeah. Then reality hits. But so th this seems like not not quite the topic of normalization, but a lack of representation uh, politically. Right. That people. Well, it's also it's also compromised to to quote unquote normalize it, but that by recognizing Israelis, that you're compromising Palestine. Yeah. 
that you're compromising right. certain elements and that you're allowing them to live here. And and again, I don't know what to do with six million people. I have no idea. I mean, it, the, the, the cries from before and the whole idea that people are, I mean, I, again, not, there's, there's no way to translate that where it makes sense. I mean, look at, look at what happened. I mean, so, and then again, a translation, uh, uh, the, the normalization also translates as accepting the Israeli na narrative that everything belongs to, to Israel and the Palestinian. So, so that's like the bottom line. What, uh, yeah. Israel cannot exist. For, for Palestine to exist, Israel cannot exist. No, no aspect of it. And that, that's the idea of normalization. But, but wouldn't you say that's slightly uh, misguided in a sense? Because there could be a way for both sides to peacefully coexist. I, I know that may seem hard to imagine at times, but it, it certainly is possible. If it was a personal thing, I mean, I'm doing but at, at this point, no. I mean, the state has made every effort to, to alienate us. So it, it, it seems that it's fair to say that normalization is a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, it could be kumbaya, pretending like everything's fine, not even talking politics, just being friends. And then on the other right. spectrum, it's refusing to speak, acknowledge, engage. They don't exist. It seems and like you are so somewhere in the middle of the spectrum where you are willing to speak to Israelis, but for the purpose of progressing a solution. That and, and making sure that the Palestinian narrative and facts are heard. Because I'm tired okay. of everywhere that I, that I go that, that we're always drowned out. And the, the way that we're represented and that our history only started in 1960. We didn't. We've been here, you know, so for you, a long time. You, you, you're a normalization moderate, we could say. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> the, thing is, the, the thing is, is that the word normalization has absolutely no positive connotations. So uh, I, I am but hesitant to take on the word. But I guess I'm, I'm an engagement, engagement, proponent of engagement. Yeah, or, or we could just call it an anti-normalization moderate. Th that works, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, I'm gonna start popping some questions up on the screen. Um, okay. Cool. First one from Eric. Go ahead. Everyone will be able to see it. Kifa, you can now see it on the screen. This is a cool little feature. Right. Uh, I'll read I'm it. Sure by, Eric, by Eric Grosser. Kifa, I asked this earlier. Can you see a situation where in certain places the Israeli and Palestinian flag would fly side by side? In certain places, I realize that it's a challenge on both sides. But is it going to fly side by? I mean, I don't think that's the issue, though. I mean, like, uh, both of my daughters-in-law—they're both from villages that were destroyed. I mean, Dead and Assi, the one that my one of my daughters-in-law comes from, the, the village still stands. I mean, do you want to fly flags above that, like destroyed villages? Lifted down the street. I mean, that's why it's so hard. When I see the flag, I remember the destroyed villages, and I remember people walking out of here with nothing. The thing is, is what does each flag represent? I, I, mean, I, think when, I guess when when Israel, when that flag represents something positive for me, I, I mean, this is me personally. I, yeah. I, I'm actually happy. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. No, you go. 
So I'm actually happy this question came up because it, it really shines to light just vastly different perspectives. It's kind of similar to, you know, the conversation we started with viewing a terrorist as a freedom fighter, or a terrorist or a soldier as a protector, or a thug. When many Palestinians, and it's important for people to understand this, many Palestinians have trauma from the, like the, the Israeli flag triggers some kind of PTSD. I've spoken to many Palestinians um, who, who have this experience. And this is also Palestinians who are willing to engage and are, are pro-peace. It, it, it triggers some kind of PTSD. Israelis, while our situation is different, it triggers something within us as well. I, you may remember that uh, last year Eurovision was in uh, Tel Aviv and mm -hmm. Iceland at the end, they pulled out an, a Palestinian flag and people were furious. Hey, you know, people didn't want to make it a political statement. They didn't want Eurovision to be political, but you know, mm -hmm. I, I engaged with some people who were upset about this and they said, that is a flag that represents our dis destruction. How can I be okay with it? So what you view as the Palestinian flag as your own independence, many Israelis view as their destruction and right. vice versa with the Israeli flag. I, I, I get what you're saying. You can't, the, the amount of healing that would have to be done before you would like to see an Israeli flag flying in a village is immense. Yet we view it as just our national, part of our national identity. Um, yeah. So, but I guess, but I, I don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, at this point, neither flag represents for the other side. And maybe for some, I mean, there's always an exception, but it's not representing anything positive for either side. So, um, and 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 again, I mean, like look at look at how the the schools. I mean, there's nothing to bridge, and I don't think that's bridging the gap having the two flags beside each other. There has to be other steps. I mean, there's edu there's education. There's um, you were talking about the kumbaya stuff. I mean, kumbaya stuff is fine, uh, but in the end, y'all go back and you go and you serve in the army, and then you see your kids in our neighborhood. So, again, I mean, I don't know what it changes. There has to be huge, gigantic changes to happen. Yeah. For 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 us, honestly, to feel secure uh with with israelis here and that's that's not happening and we right. don't see enough of the population protesting or questioning the fact that you're, you're matriculated throughout the school system get your kids i mean this i i don't get i mean if i was in the state and my kid is going through the school system so that he can go straight into the army not go to college that would bother me and I don't understand why more Israelis not bothered that their kids are finishing high school and not going, you know, going off to their dorms and going to university. That's all I thought about when my kid was graduating. I don't understand how what the thought process behind that. What kind and that's that's another thing, why it makes it so hard. Okay, there is there is a certain amount of alliance and then then there's that. How how can you ally with someone who who's okay with that? Sending their kid off. I can't, I can, you know, um, under the Turkish regime, we were asked to send our kids to into conscription. And I, I can I can send you more about it. The whole entire yeah, country, yeah, this yeah. is one of the excuse me? No, I said I'd be happy to read more about it if you could send that my way. Yeah. 
I, I, I'll send you about and the all of the Palestinians got together from city to city so that their sons do not go off to the army. The reason that my my grandfathers left here was so that they would not go to the Turkish army. They, they, for us, especially Palestinians, like it's a huge defining thing. It was one of the um, it was one of the factors that bound, that bound us together politically was the fact that we were able to organize and organize under the banner of not joining the Ottoman army. I mean, Nablus, the reason why they got their name, Jabal al-Nab, is because Jabal al-Nab means like mountain of fire, is because uh, they were able to revolt against Napoleon and they were able to revolt against against conscription. Mm -hmm. So again, in the, in the Palestinian mentality, isn't your child worth more than, than sending him off to, I mean, Again, it's just not clicking in our, I mean, our grandfathers fought for this so that their kids could stay home. Right. And, and yet it seems like they still can't. No. I would actually say that's an interesting parallel as well, as well between us. And, and I realize people always get, get offended by parallels because they, people don't like when you draw a moral equivalent. Right. Yeah, but what people fail to real, realize is morality is a result of our environment and upbringing. And when we have such vastly different upbringings, obviously we're, you know, we're going to see the world differently. Um, and, you know, when two, when two societies have vastly different uh, cultures and even views of morality, you have two solutions. It's either you engage and build a unified narrative or you destroy one another. So guys instead of bringing up that it's just a moral equivalency understand where this difference in morality comes from and work to engage because the solution is just so much worse um so again guys i'm, I'm going to urge you and i say this because i see it in the comments let's try to be productive in what we say um because keith and i will not bring peace to this land it will take the collective and that that involves all of us um i'm going to pull up another question um, I, I actually want to tackle this one. This one's from Stephen Schwab, and, and Stephen, I, I've, I've been seeing you hint, like mention this a um, bunch of times. So, I, I don't have the answer to this. I don't think Kifa does either. But, and, and I don't know if this was pointed at Kifa or at both of us. But I see this often brought up, directed towards Palestinians. But why does the common Palestinian have any more say over? how how hamas acts than the average israeli we should not put the responsibility of the ruling power uh, on the population especially when they can't vote so again th th this is one of those comments and stephen i'm not accusing you of doing this it's possible you were just asking it as a general question but people often ask palestinians like oh yeah but you know you guys you know palestinians can't even speak freely that's just as much an Israeli issue as it is a Palestinian issue, because if you could acknowledge that Palestinian speaking freely would help progress peace, and if peace is what we want, then it's something that we both, that we're both responsible for sol solving. And Kifa has no no say, no more say than me over what what Hamas does or how they think. So let's approach it from right. from that perspective. And I, I don't have a solution. Um, it might take immense international. Huh? But it, I mean, I think I think it. Look, I mean, there, you have to. It's it's a complicated issue. I mean, um, the government that does exist there. I don't know. 
um, if, they, if they are being arrested, I mean, like, I'm living within Palestinian society, and we get these questions all the time that certain Palestinians, when they're engaging with Israelis, that they're, they're being arrested or they're being incarcerated or held. Um, look, the, the whole idea that all of our government or everybody that represents the Palestinians is bad or evil is also uh, not true. And sometimes, um, sometimes measures are taken, and they are taken by the correct people. And people, I mean, I I don't like the idea that you know, like it sort of like puts me, it puts us into the role of a savage. So you know that everything that we do is 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 wrong. Not all of Hamas is bad. I mean, the people are going to go crazy when I say that. There are some competent people lead, leading, and also in the PA. But the problem is there's no coherent system for these people to function in or, or to represent well, or cohesive system. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly have no idea what God's is talking about. Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, another thing I saw in the comments, maybe you just want to clarify this, you know, someone says that you don't recognize that Jews have always had a presence on this land, but I don't think you, no. you deny that, do you? No, they've always been here. Cool. So, there, I mean, and that, that's part of the, that's part of the, the, the problem that we have with the, the whole narrative of return, because it's like, I mean, I always remember my grandfather asking me this, like, he, you know, sometimes, uh, Jews who had who had uh, who had come back to to Israel would say that and he was like, "Where did you return from?" I mean, they've always been here. So uh, there's like this, um, like for us, it doesn't make like a lot of that narrative doesn't the whole narrative of, of return doesn't make sense for us. Um, yeah. And then, I, it, I mean, that 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 can be a whole another two hours. <laughs> But um, yeah, but but for many Arabs, it just—I mean—they've always existed here. I mean, they're part of the populations and, and religious and minorities that exist here, just like Christians, and uh, and they've always been here. They intermarried. They existed, and um, I, I'm not going to go into the whole idealized past because it wasn't. Uh, the past was feudal, and it was classist, and it was not particularly. Um, it, it wasn't. Um, some people had it better than others, a lot better than others. <laughs> but they were here. I um. Hold on, I'm I'm trying to do I'm trying to multitask with uh, be, being a sure. good being you know engaging with you, but also uh, making sense of these comments. Um, I'm gonna do I'm gonna, what do they call it? Break break the third wall when you speak directly to somebody. Um, even, um, this is directed to you. Are you, what, what exactly is your concern? I'd be very happy to, to, to try to respond to me. Uh, no, 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 no. Steven, Steven is asking, he, he keeps writing stuff, but I'm trying to understand what, what exactly his concern is. He says, you're just glossing over the subject. I waited two hours. Are you, are you talking to me or are you speaking to other people in the chat? Maybe maybe we bring him on as a guest. Stephen, take no. take time. To I'm very happy to hear your thoughts and hear what you think. Um, 
I'd also be happy to bring you on to, to speak if Keith is cool with that. I, I do want to bring in another um, another comment that I see as problematic. I, I might make a video just about problematic comments. So Palestinian mm -hmm. lives matter. First of all, yeah, I agree. Palestinian lives certainly do matter. So I'm with you on that, bro. Bro, if you're a woman, sis. Um, Israel. So first of all, again, you know, if you want to engage in dialogue with Israelis, you're going to need to call them something other than Israel. If you're not, if you don't want to engage, then I guess that's fine. But the idea that Israel is completely an illegal state because it was erected by killing and displacing of native people. Again, there was a major injustice of the past. There is no denying that. Some people try to deny it, but there is no denying that. There was a major injustice towards the Palestinian people. That injustice continues today. But it, if we're going to decide, hold on, I'm going to put you on mute because it sounds like there's a parrot. If we're going to decide whether a nation gets legitimacy based off the actions of those who created the nation, you have very few legitimate countries in the world. So I will ask you, are you holding Israel to a different standard than you hold all other nations? So in, instead of looking at the past and the injustices of the past, let's look at the present and let's look at the future, how we could move forward towards common ground. Saying Israel is legitimate has never convinced a single Israeli to change their mind. You get what I'm saying, Palestinian lives matter? Let's try a different approach. And I say this to many Israelis who will say the same thing. Palestine never existed. It's not a state. It's a terrorist state. Counterproductive. It is, and it's also taking the, the, the worst of a society and generalizing the entire society as that. So there's just so much wrong with approaching like this. I hope you find a better approach moving forward. I actually like uh, responding to comments like this. Okay, back to Steven. Steven is speaking to me. He said, I, mis I misrepresented you and then didn't allow you to explain. So, Steven, I said that I don't know if that's what you meant, but I was responding in general to a question. Steven, would you like to join the live? Keith, are you cool with bringing on another guest? Oh, you're on mute, sorry. Um, so, yeah. Like, I, I need to... I need to also go, um, okay, fine. but um, I, um, I so, truly, yeah. But I, I truly enjoyed this, and I hope that it opens up the doors for others. And um, and again, um, it's gonna it's gonna be very hard, and not everybody has the answers. And there's a lot to be said. A lot. It's not just to be said. There's a lot to be done. So I don't think it's about arguing. There's a there's a lot of things to be done, and nobody's um, um nobody's 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 done enough yet. That's it. That's all, that's where where I am right now. I'm with you, Kifa. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. I always appreciate your perspective, thank and you. I appreciate the work you do. And um, thank you. Until next time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kifa. Bye. Bye. You're welcome. Ah, uh, so guys, and then there was one. Um, generally, I sign off. We've been going on 99 minutes. 
I, you know, we could turn it off unless somebody would like to join the chat. I will, I normally don't do this, but I think it could be cool if somebody wants to join the chat, let me know and I'll bring you on and we could continue. Uh, I'm going to shut it down in 10 minutes regardless. So this will be a 10 minute, a 10 minute segment. So uh, let, let me bring up this comment. I'm also happy if you guys want to just ask me questions, I'd be happy to continue to do this. Uh, Edel Gold asks, Adar, are you going to mention the Jews that suffered? Uh, yes, that's very important. Uh, I, I don't know when you tuned in, but I mentioned the Jewish history of dealing with terror attacks, the Holocaust, and persecution. The suffering, without a doubt, is on both sides. When I spoke about the Palestinian suffering, it was it was relevant to it, it was relevant to the question I was answering. It's okay to talk about Palestinian suffering without needing to mention Israeli suffering and vice versa. I do realize from the outside, when you see somebody mentioning only one side suffering, it seems like they're trying to paint a biased picture. Uh, that's why it's important to take the context of the entire conversation in mind and not just that small segment. But I do realize um, that you may have tuned in later and I do understand the concern. Stephen, do you want to come? I'm, I'm inviting you on. I, I don't know what you're yelling about. You're welcome to join the chat and uh, share your perspective. Uh, Gigi, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to respond to you as well. I do appreciate you being here. Uh, I personally think you can have done better, you know, engaging respectfully, but I do understand that it's a topic that arouses immense emotion and I get you. Uh, what are you going to do about all the terrorist organizations? I'm happy you asked this because a lot of people ask this, and it's a very, very difficult question to answer. One way I like to look at it is support for terrorism seems to be a result of a nation's despair. Let's break this down. If we look at the difference between, uh, let's say, opinions between Palestinians and Lebanese Arabs, we actually see that they're vastly different. We, we can measure this by their support of Sharia. And I know Sharia isn't, isn't directly connected to terrorism, but it still gives us enough insight. Uh, there was a Pew, Pew polling from a few years ago that showed 89% of Palestinians support Sharia law. 29% of Lebanese Arabs support Sharia law. How do you have such a vastly different, two and a half X difference between support of Sharia law in Lebanon and in Palestine, in, and in Palestine. How, how, do you, how do you explain that? The conditions the Palestinians are living under, needing to stop at checkpoints, getting searched whenever a soldier decides, getting their homes searched whenever soldiers decide, getting arrested, having soldiers abuse Palestinians, which is more prevalent than most Israelis would like to admit, um, seeing your land slowly shrink over time, living in despair, having such tremendous unemployment rates. This creates immense despair. And when there's immense despair, people begin to support terror. It seems like that is the solution. It's, you know, what, what can we do? There's nothing we could do. Let's support violence against those we deem who are fighting against us. So it seems it seems that the best solution to decrease support for terror organizations is to create an environment in which 
terrorists, terrorists aren't born. An environment in which Palestinians are raised with a good education and a good upbringing and the ability to be prosperous. And again, this is something that both Israel can contribute to and both the Palestinian government can contribute to, right? It will take an effort from both. But if we can create an environment in which peacemakers are born instead of people who support terrorism, that I see is the best way to weaken support for terrorism. The, the, and this is a multi-generational um, process. But had we began this 100 years ago or 70 years ago, we'd be in a much different place. So we, we kind of missed the ball with that one, but it's not too late to start. We should start now. Create an environment that aids in the de-radicalization of Palestinians and aids in the de-radicalization of Israelis. And that will get the environment ready for where peace can be born. I, G, uh, Gigi, uh, again, thanks for your questions. I hope that answers uh, it to some extent. Um, Palestinian Lives Matter is telling me that most Palestinians don't support Sharia law. So this isn't a Pew poll I read a few years ago. If I am mistaken, I, I will look into this, but this, you know, this was a legitimate poll. If I'm mistaken, then I apologize. But based off the latest polling, I saw that happens to be the case. And given the environment Palestinians live in, it's it's not hard to understand why this would be the case. So, um, yeah, I, I hear this a lot, Gigi. Um, Gigi's saying it's not true. We gave Palestinians Gaza and they chose terrorism. So there's two things to look at. It, it's not as simple as us giving Palestinians Gaza because we gave them Gaza and then we actually took over mass amounts of the West Bank simultaneously. Um, many people don't mention that, but you need to understand that, you know, Palestinians in Gaza and Palestinians in West Bank, although they are somewhat different, they do have a connection of, of you know, the, the, their, their, their collective story is similar. And they did not view that as a sign of peace. They viewed it as, we'll give you this and we'll take this. That's one thing that's important to, to mention. Number two, you say they chose ter terrorism. It's not that they chose terrorism, it's that they chose uh, Hamas. Now, they only had two parties to choose from. When you only have two parties to choose from and both aren't great, it's hard to blame them for picking a not great party. Most Palestinians didn't choose Hamas because they want to exterminate Israel. They chose Hamas because they saw them as better equipped to create a good life for Palestinians. Maybe they had better political infrastructure. Maybe they thought they had, you know, more weapons and a better army, but it's not as simple as them choosing terrorism. They had two choices and they thought Hamas was the better choice. That being said, if you actually look at the amount of Palestinians that voted, and how many Palestinians currently are under 18, it's actually something only around 11% of the population voted for Hamas of the Palestinians that currently exist in Gaza. So uh, it's important to understand that they didn't vote for Hamas for the reasons we think they did, but also most of them didn't even vote. So it's important to keep that in mind. Um, okay, one more thing. How do you see 
Tashmin, thank you for joining us. How do you see West Bank settlements? Is it okay to take West Bank lands and make Israeli settlements? I personally think building settlements currently is extremely counterproductive. Extremely. With each new settlement built, that increases the despair of the Palestinians. With increase of despair, it increases the radicalization. So, and with, with increase of settlements, we need increased military presence. Increased military presence creates an increase of injustice towards Palestinians. So I view that as a major roadblock to achieving peace. I, I think we should stop building settlements immediately. That being said, I would like to find a solution to the conflict where we don't need to uproot settlements. I don't want to uproot anybody from their homes. I view that as an injustice. It's true that the way in which these settlements were built were unjust, but I do not think we create justice by creating another injustice. And this is, you know, just deeply how I feel about the concept of justice and how we need to approach conflict in general. I hope that answers your question, Tashmin. Um, I'd love to see a situation where Palestinians can live uh, wherever they want in Israel and Israelis can live wherever they want in Palestine. Uh, if it's one state, two states, federation, confederation, I'm actually open to any of those solutions as long as it meets, as I mentioned earlier, equality, security, and ability for pr prosperity for both sides and that both sides agreed it, then I would uh, support that solution. Cool guys, um, I think we will wrap it up. I don't see any, um, too many new questions. Uh, thank you guys again for joining. Thank you for engaging in the comment section. Uh, if anybody wants, feel free to reach out to me. My social media is linked in the comments. I also recently opened up a Patreon. For those who are unfamiliar, Patreon is a way in which people can support content creators. Uh, I currently do this activism and content part-time. Obviously, I need to pay bills. I live in Tel Aviv, a very expensive city, so I still have a day job. My goal would be to do this full-time. In order for that to happen, I would just need to build my YouTube channel in a way that it's monetized sufficiently or get enough people to support me on Patreon. So the way it works, if anybody likes what I do and they want to support me, they can become a patron. A patron. You'll see the link in the description. You could even donate $1 a month, $2 a month, whatever you feel comfortable, or none at all. That's fine. I'm just putting it out there. Um, and yet we have another debate coming up this Thursday um, between uh, Rudy Rachman and... Well, that's embarrassing. I'm, I'm forgetting the other guy's name. That's my bad. I got a lot on my mind. But we do we do have another debate in um, coming up in two days. Very excited. Very excited about that. Um, we're just gonna you know continue these dialogues, continue to see how we can make progress on an array of issues. Uh, and again, always feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to engage in dialogue. You'll see all my social media platforms in the description. Um, much love from Tel Aviv.